wept on the final day. In the New Testament, as you read the New Testament, you'll notice the day of the Lord becomes the day of Christ, the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verse 10 is an example. And what it's talking about is the day that Jesus returns will be the day he judges the world in righteousness, as we read in Acts chapter 17, verse 31. I wonder if we went home this afternoon, walked up and down our street, and just asked people a very simple question. Do you think Jesus will return? 99% will say no. That's Paul's point. People are unprepared for the day of the Lord. Because people think they're in control. We're a world that kind of lives in this kind of imagined naivety. We go, we've got peace. We've got security. We're under control. We've got self-defined, we can define love now. Love is love. We go, we can have a godless secularism. We can say we can be autonomous as human beings. It's nothing new. Jesus talked about the time when people lived like Noah's day, thousands of years ago, where they just ate, drank and danced and then it rained. Or Sodom's day, Luke 17, ate, drank, danced, judgment. You see, our world with no thought of God or judgment is living in naivety. Because the reality is we live in God's world, whether you believe it or not. And your life is a gift from God. And when Jesus returns, all imagined security and control will be shattered. And humanity will face a just judge. And anyone found of guilt, anyone found guilty of rebellion will face judgment as inescapable as the birth of a child is when labour pains happen. See that metaphor in verse 3? When labour pains happen, it is inescapable that a child has to come. That is the judgment that faces the world. Now, what is this punishment, this destruction, verse 3? Well, don't imagine a sandcastle being stomped on. Okay, that's not what it's happening here. I don't know what your version of hell is tonight, but have a look in the next book that is written by Paul in 2 Thessalonians. He uses the same word. And in chapter 1, verse 9, he says this, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. What is it? From the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. What's destruction? What's hell? Well, a very helpful way of explaining it is being, sorry, getting what you want if you don't love God. You get to be separated from God's presence and his goodness and glory forever. You get cut off forever from the only true source of love and joy and light and life. The day of the Lord is coming. It is only appropriate this afternoon that I ask you, are you prepared? Are you prepared for the coming of Jesus? Will your verdict be guilty? Well, if you are here this afternoon and you're still listening to me and you know you'll be guilty, can I say this? 
God wants to do business with you right now. Because your creator says, lay down your crown. Apologize for all the times you've ignored God in your mind and actions towards him and people and the planet. Stop putting your hope in yourself and put your hope in the Lord Jesus. For as Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Every single sin you've ever done, will do, is forgiven by Jesus Christ. And if you do that this afternoon, then you are not guilty on the final day. And you are just like the Thessalonians. See verse 4? But you, brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus, you are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. Every single Christian at Church at Four will not be surprised when Jesus returns. You can approach the day without fear because your judgment is in the past at the first day of the Lord. All your sin has been paid for at the first day of the Lord on the first Good Friday. And you now have God's righteousness. The judgment of God's pretty heavy, isn't it? And so a lot of you will be struggling with that right now. And that's appropriate. I've struggled it for years. So as a little aside, how do we deal with it as Christians? Well, the judgment of God is real. It's thrilling and it's really painful. It's very painful when you know people who will be judged are your friends and family and possibly children and they're not Hitler. What we can do as Christians is we can be tempting to downgrade judgment into passive universalism. What does that mean? It means you start thinking God won't judge normal people, just bad people. The normal people, everyone, Christian or not, goes to heaven. We can also be tempted to adopt religious piety. What that means is God won't judge good people. I went out to Yagara and helped people, God won't judge me. I help people at Molong, won't help, God, God won't judge me. You know, I give money to the salvos, God won't judge me. Just judges the bad people. Or we do what my brother in law does, and he rejected God outright because God is mean, God is evil. Here are five pointers as we wrestle with this. Firstly, the judgment of God, it's the teaching of the Bible. It's not just the teaching of the Old Testament, it's the teaching of the whole Bible. Secondly, the judgment of God from the Bible is that God will be fair. 100% fair. He will be just. He will reflect his good and holy character in his judgment. We do not judge fairly. He will. Thirdly, the judgment of God challenges us partly because we have a very high view of ourselves. We think we're pretty good and we have a very small view of our own sin. Yes, we sin, but we only sin this much. 
The thing is, if we were to be truly honest about what we're like and our sin, the judgment of God would not feel as offensive. Fourthly, the judgment of God is of great comfort to the Christians in Ugara, Ukraine, Syria, South Sudan, Indigenous Australia. Because when we are under attack, when life is hard, as it was in Thessalonica, we know there'll be a day of justice. When we look at and see injustice in our world, when we see the greedy and the powerful and the immoral winning and escaping judgment, we know there'll be a day of justice. And when we're sinned against at church or in society, we don't need to take revenge. We can turn the other cheek because there's a day of justice coming. You see, God's judgment is great comfort to those who see the world as it really is. And lastly, if we lose the judgment of God, if we said, church of four, we're just, it's just too hard, then we will stop praying for our friends. We will stop sharing the gospel, for there's no need to. But if Jesus is coming back, it is urgent that people in Orange and beyond hear about the good news of Jesus. Secondly, we prepare by being aware of who we are. If you're a sports fan, you'll know that there's transfer windows. And transfer windows are when players move from one team to another. And the symbol of what happens is they take off a jersey and then they put on their new jersey in front of the cameras. And it's a symbol that says, I now belong to this team. I'm going to give my heart and soul to playing for this team. Being prepared as a Christian is knowing which team you're on. We see it there, don't we, in verse 5. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. You see, there are two teams you can belong to, the light or the darkness. Please never think there's a grey team, an agnostic team. There isn't in the Bible. There is the children of the light and there is a children of the darkness. And every Christian, including Paul, excuse me, belongs to the children of light. They've joined that team through a great transfer. You see that in Colossians chapter 1. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us and transferred us into the, into the kingdom of the son he loves. All Christians are children of the light. And it's not because you feel like it. It's because the Lord Jesus has paid the price to transfer you into his team. And it means you've changed jerseys. And that means we're children of the day. What day? The day of the Lord. For on the day of the Lord, you will be seen for what you are. You may be called a bigot tomorrow. You may be called a fool tomorrow. You may be called silly or having a crutch or weak for being a Christian. You will not be the only one that tomorrow. But when Jesus returns... 
you'll be seen for what you are. A child of the victorious Lord. If you find it hard being a Christian, that's normal. It's normal and the other team is very strong at the moment. So remember who you belong to. You belong to Jesus. And you belong to a different team. And that will prepare you to live as a minority until he comes back. It will prepare you to live differently. Because we prepare by being active in living out our identity. I became a Christian at 17. My friends invited me to youth group. And uh, after a while of being a bit slow, I listened and listened and became a Christian. How? I repented of my sins and I confessed Jesus as Lord. But over the first two or three years of a Christian, I really struggled to live out my Christian faith. I struggled to reflect what the team I belonged to. And one day I had a Christian friend who eyeballed me on this. He pulled me aside and we don't do this often as Christians, but he did it that day. And he looked at me and he said to me, Ed, your actions do not reflect our team. You say you believe, but the way you live doesn't match. He's not saying I had to be perfect, but they were so different that the belief and the actions were so separate. Now, after the shame calmed a little bit and I stopped wanting to hit him, I realized my friend had helped me. He'd helped me realize that who I belong to shaped how I live. If I was going to belong to the night, then I should live for myself, whether I go to church or not. Makes no difference in that regard. If I belong to the darkness, I should just live for myself. But if I belong to Jesus, then I was a child of the light and that shaped how I live. Because once you see Jesus, what he did, what he's doing and what he'll do, it's like a big spotlight is turned on in your life. You cannot escape it. You are living in the light. Your mind is illuminated so you can see. Your heart is illuminated so you can love God. And it changes how you think and behave and speak and talk. It changes everything. And they're the three contrasts we see in the next three verses. Look at what Paul says. He says, if you belong to the night, you'll sleep. Now, that word sleep there is not talking about what you'll do later tonight. What it's talking about is moral indifference. If you belong to the dark, you are morally indifferent. What that means is you do not care about what is right or wrong in God's eyes. You make it up for yourself. But if you belong to the day, you'll be mentally awake. You'll be aware and convicted of what God says is right or wrong. So one of the markers of saying I belong to Jesus is saying he tells me what's right or wrong, not my feelings, not YouTube. My Lord Jesus tells me what is right or wrong. Secondly, if I belong to the night, I'll pursue excess. I'll pursue lust. I'll pursue pursue greed. I'll pursue drunkenness. That's what people did last night in Orange, right? It's totally understandable. If you know you're only going to live for another 20 years, you've got to pack that 20 years with as much experience as possible, which means getting drunk on a Saturday night or trying to hook up is totally logical. But if you belong to the day, 
you know Jesus is coming back. And so you live for that day. And so you live self-controlled lives, not lives of excess. It allows you to be generous with your time and money. It allows you to choose the best life. Because life is not for 20 years. Life is with Jesus now and for eternity. If you belong to the night, you'll give up on Jesus when it gets hard. If you belong to the day, as Greg mentioned before, you'll put on armour. And you will live on a battle footing as you await Jesus to return. Paul is referencing here Isaiah 59 verse 17. And in that verse, God is describing himself coming with a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of hope. And what Paul is saying is if you belong to that God, you put on the armour. You stand beside him. You put on your faith. You trust Jesus' word. You put on love. You delve into deep relationships, not just your career. You put on your hope, clarity on what is coming. Why? Christianity is not wearing a jersey. Christianity is living out your new jersey, your new identity as a child of the light. It's a wonderful challenge, isn't it? And we prepare finally by being assured. You can get to the end of this passage and feel pretty beaten up. Sometimes God's word does that and sometimes that's appropriate. But if you are feeling worried right now or even fearful, if you are feeling overwhelmed that it's too much, then look how the passage finishes. Because yes, the return of Jesus is the biggest event in your future. Going on a cruise is not. A holiday that you've planned is not. Having an extra child is not. They are not. Your wedding is not. That's not the biggest event. The biggest event is the Lord Jesus coming. It's as sure as as the dawn. It's serious and important. But you can prepare for that with great assurance because Jesus will not leave you at the altar. See verse 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. It's beautiful, isn't it? Your future is not based on your wishful thinking or good works or determinism. It's grounded in Christ's person and work. He died in our place as our substitute. He took our wrath and he promises to bring us with him when he returns. So we need to prepare. We need to prepare by having faith in Christ, alert to the future, aware of who we are, actively living out our identity, but we do it with wonderful assurance in our good days and our not-so-good days. We see it there in verse 10, don't we? So whether we are awake or asleep, whether we are alert or lazy, whether we're having a godly day or an ungodly day, we may live together with him. Let me read you a quote I found this week. We're fluctuating mortals. Today's spiritual keenness becomes tomorrow's spiritual indifference. Reading the Bible is important today. Tomorrow I can't be bothered. Up early today for prayer. Tomorrow snoring. Full of evangelism today. 
tomorrow silence, and so on and on. We wish it was otherwise. We are proper mixed-up kids. Suppose Jesus turned up on one of our off days and found us sleeping. Of course it matters. We would die of embarrassment. Is our salvation in peril? Never. Our salvation depends on the will of God, the Son of God, and the cross of Christ. He chooses us, not we him. Nothing can undo this. Brothers and sisters, we have a clear, wonderful, and robust hope in the Lord Jesus. We need to prepare well, for his coming is more certain than the dawn. Amen.